0: Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann.
1: If you turn in that Bible to the second chapter of Acts, you'd imagine we'd be there today, huh? And so some of you are wondering, because you don't regularly come to church here, what is this Pentecost thing you keep talking about? So let me just uh, bring you up to date. Uh, after Jesus was crucified, they stuck him in a hole. And he came out of that hole on the third day, it says, and showed himself across the next 40 days to the believers. And then what it says is that he ascended into heaven. We're going to talk about that just a little bit today. And uh, as he goes to heaven, uh, they are told, those disciples are told to go to Jerusalem and wait because God's going to do something extraordinary in the midst. So they go to Jerusalem and they, they get a room If you go to Jerusalem today, they say this this is the room or this is something like this or something akin to this is the kind of room. And so you can actually go to a place that might have been kind of like that room. And and so you can be in that room. Then what happened is uh, tongues of fire and the sound of a rushing wind came and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what I love about this is the guy that, denied Jesus three times, it says of him in verse 14, he stood up. He stood up, he raised his voice, and he declared to them, and he quotes some scripture. And the scripture he quotes to them is out of Joel. When he gets done with that, we already read that today, that's the first thing we started with was that passage out of Joel. When he got done reciting Joel, he begins our passage for the day, which is Acts Chapter 2, verse 22 and following, and we're so very grateful that we have a reader here today that is willing to read that for us. Thanks so much, Angel. Appreciate that. Would you please stand in reverence to the Word of God, and let's hear what Peter said that day.
0: Which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death Because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy ones see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew, the, and knew that God had promised on him oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the ram of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for allowing us, Lord, to gather, Lord, this day, Lord, to celebrate Pentecost, Father. Father God, we just pray, Lord, that you just loose your Holy Spirit up in us, Father. Lord, give us the holy boldness and the obedient spirit, Father to leave out of the, this building, Father, and go out into this dying, hurting world of darkness, Father, and to be your light and to spread your gospel, Lord, to those who don't know you, Father. It's in Jesus' precious and mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Angela.
0: You may be seated. Thank you. So I call
1: this passage Jesus in a nutshell. If you just want to know just a quick outline of what he did on planet Earth and what he's doing today, this is a great passage to go to. Uh, first off, it talks about Jesus, the miraculous. I find it fascinating that when Peter starts talking about this Jesus, the first thing he mentions is that, well, let me just read it to you again. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. So, Jesus was a miracle worker. And those miracles were signs that pointed to Jesus. Now, I want to be careful with miracles, but I want to be so careful that I don't expect them in my life and I don't allow God to work them through me. Do you know what I mean by when I said that? Miracle, miracles can be really the kind of thing that people get feeling funny about. And we shouldn't feel funny about them. We should expect that the supernatural flows through the woman and through the man that God has supernaturally endowed with His Holy Spirit. We should expect miracles, and we ought to want miracles. But I want to be careful, we never put our accent on the miracles. We don't want to be so miracle-focused that we forget we're supposed to be Jesus-focused. Uh, we uh this, uh, this fall, the seminary president, uh, Matt, Friend of mine, he's been up here a few times preaching, is going to be teaching on spiritual warfare. I, I recommend you take the class. You'll love it. But I want to be careful with spiritual warfare. I want to be careful with demons and devils and all those sorts of things. I want to say they do exist. And you got to take them seriously. You got to take them carefully. But having said that, I don't want to put my focus on the devil. I don't want to put my focus on anything other than what scripture tells me to put my focus on. And that is, do what? Focus on Jesus. Because there's a lot of people today that want to go crazy about miracles and with signs and with wonders and with spiritual warfare and with this whole thing of devils. And pretty soon what happens is, you forgot. He wants you to be holy as He is holy. He wants you to have the character qualities that He has. That's the gospel that we could be like Him. The gospel's not that we could defeat the devil. By the way, you can defeat the devil. But it's going to be by focusing on Jesus. Fix your eyes upon who? Jesus. Not on miracles. Not on signs. Not on wonders. Do I want them to happen? You bet. Do I pray that they happen? You bet. What's the greatest miracle? I... I, Love Stanley Jones. I've I've read this to you at least two or three times from this pulpit. One of my favorite passages of literature, Christian literature across the ages, one of my favorite passages is one I'm about ready to read you. I love this. Here, says E. Stanley Jones, missionary to India. Here's the central miracle of Christianity. Christ. The central miracle is not the resurrection or the virgin birth, Or any of the other miracles. The central miracle is just this person. For he rises in sinless grandeur above life. He is life's sinless exception. Therefore, a miracle. Now, you turn from that central miracle towards these lesser miracles. Well, they become credible in the light of his person. Being what he was, it would be amazing if he did not touch blind eyes and make the lame walk. But these miracles fit in with the central miracle of his person. Someone once said, being a miracle would be a miracle if he didn't perform miracles. But the miracles don't carry Jesus, Jesus carries them. The whom carries the what, the person carries the manifestation. You say miracle apart from him, and it gets confusing. By extension, that whole spiritual warfare thing, demons and devils and and heavenly councils, you say all that apart from Jesus, and it gets weird fast. But you say miracle with Jesus, and it all of a sudden makes sense. Christianity brings into meaning, breaks into meaning when we see Jesus. The incredible becomes the actual, the impossible becomes the patent. Ooh, I love that. So Jesus, could you give us today the central miracle, the central sign, the central wonder of the whole Christian faith, and that is you. Could you give us you? And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. So the first thing is Jesus, miracle worker. The second is Jesus the Crucified. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. Verse 36, jumping ahead. Therefore, let all of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. (laughs) I imagine a big bony finger. I don't know if Peter had big bony fingers or not but I imagine him going down on the front row because you know some people unlike right now sit on the front row you put him to death but it's true of every single one of us a day you 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 put him to death you put him to death hey don't feel confident you did you did you Put him on the cross. Oh, can you imagine how sobering that would be? I think this whole collective thing is important for us to live up to. I think we can take it too far, but I don't think we usually take it far enough. Most of you who have lived in Mississippi remember this story. It needs to be repeated from time to time. There was a boy, 14 years of age that on August 28th of 1955, died. He was lynched because he was accused of approaching a white girl in a grocery store. So he was abducted. He was beaten. He was mutilated. He was shot in the head. Then they, just to be cruel, He's dead for crying out loud. Well, yeah, whatever. Let's wrap him up in barbed wire. Let's put a 75-pound metal fan around his neck. Let's throw him in the Tallahatchie. His mother, as you might imagine, she's from Chicago. She hears about this and she just, it just breaks her heart. So I said, well, we're going to have a, going to have a funeral. She says, well, let that funeral have my son's body there laying in a casket just like they found him at the bottom of the Tallahatchie. Nope, don't dress him up. Don't make him look good. Don't do something to his face. Just leave him just like that. And some of you have seen pictures of this. It's horrifying. It's ugly. And she knew it. And she wanted all the world to have that displayed so that we would learn what it is that we could do down here in the Deep South to a person when we decide we don't like that person or something that they've done. She says, I want all the world. Her direct quote was, I think everybody needs to know what happened to Emmett Till. 50,000 People on Chicago's south side walked past that casket. Magazine, I believe the magazine's name was Jet, ran photos of the body so that all America could see it and collectively shudder. Guys, that's not unlike the cross. Peter sticks the casket right in front of their face and he says, look, you did this. You did this. They're going to say, not me, man. I wasn't there. <laughs> Anybody here a sinner? It was your sin and mine that put Jesus on the cross. I'm remindful of uh, Malcolm Muggeridge talking about this with Paul. A public relations guy is talking to Paul. And he's saying, hey, Paul, you know, In order to make this faith go, we're going to have to have a symbol, something that we can show all the world. Hey, this is who we are. Paul says, got a great idea for a symbol. What? How about a Roman gibbet? How about a cross? And the public relations guy goes, no, 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 (laughs) no, no, we can't use a Roman torture execution deal. No, 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 no. That doesn't work. We need a symbol for the faith. Paul says, I know. The cross. And the public relations guy goes crazy. No one's going to buy this faith if it's a cross that you're trying to push. Paul says, yeah, let's use it anyway. And it's still working. Some of you have them around your neck today, little crosses. Because we recognize we did do it. We put Jesus on the cross. And Paul says, just like Peter says, just like any preacher Today we'll say, and Jesus died on that cross because he desperately loved us and wants us to have a chance at abundant life. This is what Philippians says. Isn't that what God did at Calvary? The cross that held Jesus' body naked and marked with scars exposed all the violence and injustices of this world. The cross revealed what kind of world we have and what kind of God we have It's a world of gross unfairness, but God is a God of sacrificial love. And Peter wanted them to know it that day. Jesus the miraculous. Jesus the crucified. Now, Jesus the resurrected. Verse 29. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and he was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath, to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God, raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, we saw him. Just ten days ago, we saw him. And we're telling you we saw him. He lives. He's alive. For centuries people in Europe, looked out across the Atlantic Ocean and just wondered, is there anything out there? Is there anything beyond our world, beyond that water? And the most brilliant minds of their day said, nope, there's nothing out there. In fact, probably somewhere out there you fall off into some abyss. And so Spain had a coat of arms, and on the coat of arms of Spain was the national motto of Spain, which was, ne plus ultra. Nepus alter means there is nothing beyond. That's Spain's national motto. There's nothing beyond. This is it. One day, Columbus and three ships left. They were gone a long time. But eventually, those sails of those three ships showed up again. And the crowds went crazy. (laughs) They shouted for joy. Apparently... Apparently, it's not ne plus ultra. And so the king of Spain, once he found out from Columbus and all the rest of them that there's a glorious Pentecost, I mean, that's what they were told. There's a glorious paradise out there. You can't believe what we've seen. We've got to go for it. And the king of Spain decides, all right, we're going to change our motto now. Apparently, there is something else out there. They changed the motto from ne plus ultra to plus ultra. There is more beyond, y'all. That's what the resurrection's about. You're going to die. Everybody here's going to die. We've had people in this congregation die this year. Guess what? There is more beyond. And it was proven in Jesus Christ. There is more beyond. The Pharisees believed it, but they'd never actually seen it. Now everybody has a chance to see it. This isn't just a theory. This isn't just good theology. This isn't just good Judaism. Oh my goodness, this is reality. There is life beyond death. There is plus ultra. Say that word, plus ultra. Oh, there is more beyond. And Peter wanted them to know it that day. There is more beyond death. There is more beyond your sin. Anybody want to tap into that? Oh, that's the possibility of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, the next thing is simply this. Jesus is enthroned. Now, we don't put much emphasis on this, a day spring. We probably need to repent from that. We probably need to throw a party, getting ready for a party. Is there such a thing? A party getting ready for a party? I have a little warm-up act here. Well, let me tell you when the warm-up act comes. It comes ten days before. So, probably land on a Thursday, I'm thinking. So, not last Thursday, but the Thursday before last is the day of ascension. And we ought to celebrate that. And almost no one pays any attention to that. We like here paying big attention to Pentecost. Most churches don't. We, we kind of like doing that. Maybe we ought to be a really strange church and throw a mini party before the party on the day of ascension. Because you've got to admit, it's kind of big stuff. You're talking to Jesus. He says, all right, got to go. And then someone shows up and says, uh, hey, why are you looking up there? I'm thinking, that's the dumbest question maybe in human history. What do you mean? I mean, it was an angel, but still. Well, you don't see that every day. You don't see a man elevate into the clouds. Now, we know what happened on one side of the clouds. Uh, it, It talks about that in Ascension in the first chapter. We see Jesus right in front of our eyes, lifted up from planet Earth to take his seat as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, right there at the right hand of the Father. Those present on the Ascension Day can give an account of what happened on this side of the clouds. Did you know we know what happened on the other side of the cloud? We actually have a guy named Daniel in the Old Testament that tells us the view from the other side of the cloud. Now, I dig this. I love this. We can see in Acts 1 what happened on this side of the cloud. He goes into the clouds. We don't see him anymore. And someone comes up and says, hey, why are you still standing around looking up? Get going. Get moving. Get moving. We see, we know from Daniel what happened on the other side of the cloud. Can I read it to you? Behold, says the prophet Daniel, the clouds of heaven and one like a son of man was coming. (laughs) I'm looking at it from the other side of the cloud now. The prophet Daniel sees it from the other side of the cloud. And he came up to the Ancient of Days as presented before him. And to him, to Jesus was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. <laughs> Don't you love it? We see what happens on the other side of the cloud. Jesus reigns today. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you have a reigning Jesus that intercedes for you, that cares about you, that sends forth His Spirit for you? Do you believe that, Jesus, today? Now, this is what I love. I mean, I love it. I, I thought maybe what would happen here is, because this is such a profoundly Holy Spirit passage, that when the Holy Spirit comes, that Peter would give a 14-point sermon on the Holy Spirit. But when the Spirit comes... The Spirit doesn't say, let's go all weird on the Spirit. What the Spirit does instead is, let's put our eyes on Jesus. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't do a sermon on the Holy Spirit that day. Because the Holy Spirit will force you to look right at Jesus and say, I want to be like Him. I want to receive Him. I want to move for Him. I want to glorify Him. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. I think I told you the other day, I don't know, John John Oswald, I don't know, John, why there aren't more great Holy Spirit books written. And he says, because, Matt, the Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. The Holy Spirit draws attention to Jesus. And I love that about the Spirit of God. And if you have the Holy Spirit today, guess what? Your life will be focused on Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. I just love the thought that the Holy Spirit can make us look at Jesus like never before and want to Become like him. Now, the last thing is this. Jesus' salvation. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. By the way, can I say just a real quick thing on pierced to the heart? Love this. Do you remember back in Isaiah 53 where it says, he, he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions? Do you remember that? Then you remember in John where it says, someone took a spear and pierced him. Now, we don't believe in an eye. For an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, this time I believe it. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You pierce me, now I'm going to pierce you. You know what he pierces them with? Love. He pierces them with love. And right here it says, they were pierced to the heart. And they asked a question, what am I supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? How do we react to this? And Peter said to them, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now I love this. This is a family passage. Hey, y'all, I want you to know right now, this isn't just about you. This isn't just about you. It's about your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids. It's about, you say, well, I don't have, I'm not married and I don't have a family. Yes, you do. This family is more important than the family that you've given birth to. Boy, I didn't hear anybody resonate with that. I'm going to tell you here, you spend all eternity with this family in heaven. Some of your family that you gave birth to, you may not spend eternity with. You tell me which ought to be prioritized in your life. The kingdom of God family or your physical family. You say, well, I'm not ready to go there. You need to get ready to go there because you all look around. We are family. If we're not treating each other as family, then God's speaking to you in this very moment saying, this is how I need for you to start treating them like family. I love that people say, I don't get treated right there. Well, hello, maybe it's time for you to start doing some loving. You'd be amazed what happens when that happens. But here, it's repent, be baptized, there's forgiveness of sins, and guess what? This is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting him, saying, be saved from this, I love my, I love my word here. Some different, different translations I know, but I love my word here. Be saved from this perverse generation. <laughs> I looked up perverse. I looked it up in the Greek and the Hebrew. I looked it up in the English. It means warped, crooked curved, bent out of shape. Hey, anybody think you're living in a culture like that right now? A perverse, wicked, corrupt, bent out of shape culture? And God says that's exactly why I have you there. Bend it back. Uncurve it. Get it looking more like me. I will give you the power. I will give you the courage. But this whole perversity thing, I just asked the question, what is it that warps us so? What is there? that pulls at us to get us out of shape. And I just think there's too many agendas in our life. I think we all have agendas in our life. I can't think of a better way to put it than this. I heard this one time. It's like a boardroom. Y'all got a board. Everybody's got a board. By the way, I like this idea. Everybody has a board, all right? And you have a Matt Friedman board. That's be mine. You have yours. Matt Friedman, board, and you have the table. So all these important board people come in and sit at your board. So for Matt, there'd be the uh, vocational self. He sits about right there, the vocational self, the, the guy that says, "Okay, I need for you to be working at DaySpring and working at Wesley Biblical Seminary." Okay, that, that's what I do. The next guy over is the sexual self. This is how I need for you to be intimate with your wife. There's a sexual self, and by the way, I don't need for you to be going looking around and you know anyway, wife. The next one is religious self. This is how I need for you to keep up your persona in a culture that's looking at you. Then there is the financial self. Oh, yeah, I'm going to retire someday. Don't have enough money to retire. I'm getting a little worried. And the financial self says, hey, whatever. Hey, tell that vocational self that we've got to get, you know, anyway, that's a financial self. Then there's the family self. There's the other relationship self. There's all these cells. I mean, it's an interesting board meeting every time we have one. There's argument. There's debate. So this is what the kingdom of God is. In your heart, there's a boardroom. And around your boardroom, all kinds of cells. You can write in your own. But there's a vocational self, the sexual self, the religious self, the financial self, the family self, the other relationship self, 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 self. All these. And this is what the kingdom of God is. On this day, Peter came in and said, Fire the board. Everybody's fired. Everybody get up, get out. Because the king's here. There's only one guy on this board, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is now King of kings and Lord of... I thought to myself, is there such a thing as an emperor of the board? No. King of the board? Yeah. Here's the king of the board, the Lord of the board. Everybody else gets fired. Go home. Get out of here. And I can just tell you, the sexual self is leaving and saying, I don't think that's right. I just don't think it's right. And they, they do. They moan. They groan. They gossip. They whine out the door. And Jesus says, now, this is the way it shall be. And if you don't have a life where Jesus is solely the king, solely the Lord of your life, then you get warped and perverse. Now, it says, repent. Repent and be baptized. I love baptism, getting plunged into Jesus. Get forgiven of your sins and receive the guidance of the Spirit. And I think Peter that day gets everybody focused on one thing, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, you understand what happened after that? 3,000 people that day said, I want in. And there's these this little ritualistic pools called mikvahs and they're all dotted around the temple area. We think that's exactly where they went. This wasn't a ritual temp, uh, temple cleansing area anymore. This was baptism for Jesus area. And you'd 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 go down some steps and a disciple would have been down there and says, bring on the next one. Palunk! And that is being dipped, being overwhelmed by Jesus, being brought up and knowing your life is forever changed because there's only one king and one Lord in your life now and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he want? What does he want? Well, let's just say this. We find a pearl out here. And... uh, when we say, I, I found a pearl out here. <laughs> I don't want to be confused. I don't want any riffraff getting in on this deal. I found a pearl out there. But I know it's not mine. I know it happens to belong to Dayspring Community Church. So, But I hear a voice say, yeah, but they don't quite get how important this pearl is, how nice this pearl is. Once they know, so, Matt, pay any price. They want you to pay. So I go to the board. I say, hey, board. Dayspring Community Church board. I want to buy this pearl. And Henry Greer is the guy who decides to speak up. So I said, all right, Henry, I'd like to know how much? How much for this pearl? He says, well, Matt, it's going to be everything you got. All right. So I reach in, and I got some change here. Of course, I know he knows I got more than change, so I reach into my wallet and get out some folding money. I give him that. He says, Is that all you got? I say, Yeah, pretty much. He says, "Uh, Let me see that wallet again. I take out, it's a money clip. I take out my money clip. He says, "Uh, Oh, I'll, I'll take those credit cards too. I said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. They're debit cards, Mr. Henry. I says, Oh, I know. I want your debit cards. And then I say, Well, that's it. That's all I got. He says, "Yeah, what else do you got?" I said, "Well, I, uh, as you know, I, I drive this car." He says, "Oh, you got a car?" "Oh, yeah, 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 you got a car." Says Mr. Henry, "I'll take the car." I says, "Whoa!" Now I got this voice going on back there: "Pay any price, pay any price, pay any price." I'm thinking, "Whoa!" Now he's got. I said, "Mr. Andrew, that's all. That is all I've got." He says, "What else you got?" He says, where do you drive the car to? I said, home. He says, oh, you got a house? You live in a house? Mr. Henry knows I live in a house. He brings firewood to my house from time to time. He knows I got a house, but he's just letting this thing draw out as painfully as it possibly can. He says, well, then we'll take the house. I said, whoa, (laughs) okay, you got my house, you got my car, you got my cards, you got my bills, you got my change. I mean, that is it. He says, "Uh, Matt, one time in a sermon you said something about an IRA, I said, y- you want my my savings retirement fund? He says, yep. Well, like all of them? He says, you got more than one. <laughs> I said, I got three. He says, we'll take them all. I still got this voice saying, Penny Price, man, Penny Price, but this is getting ridiculous. So now he's got my savings, my home, my car, my cards, my bills, my change. He says, is there anything else? And it just so happens Mary comes in and says, Hey, man, did you get a piece of cake before we leave? He says, says, who's that? Now, he knows who that is. He's just trying to be a stinker now. He said, that's my wife. He said, we'll take her. I said, man, what are the kids going to say? You got kids. We'll take the kids. I'm thinking, huh? I don't know. So now he's got my kids, my wife, my savings, my home, my car, my cards, my bills, my change. I said, that's it, that's all I've got. He says, nope, there's one other thing. You. And so let's just say it's not Mr. Henry anymore. Let's say it's Jesus. And can I say that's exactly what he asks of us? Now he says... I'm not going to make you move out right now, but it's all mine. When I want it, or I want you to use it for something, or I want you to give the whole kitten and to the church, you're going to do it, Matt. You are not in charge anymore. I'm the king of your board. You'll do exactly what I want you to do with everything in your life. Y'all, the Holy Spirit is here right now. And he's asking of you some things. But most of all he's asking is everything. And most of, most of what he's asking for is you. I'm going to have Joshua come up here and play a little something. Because I want us to have the opportunity right now to say yes and totally yes to Jesus. This is the day of Pentecost. And on that day, 3,000 people started spreading out with this testimony of Jesus. And they had no intention of giving part of their life to God. They were on the altar for him. They had been dipped down and overwhelmed by Jesus. And y'all, that's what he wants to do today in your life. And so I'm asking you, is there anybody that wants in on that deal? Is there anybody that says, I want to say yes to that kind of arrangement? Now, I got to tell you, not everybody will be in on it. I get that. It's not time. I'm not ready for that. But some of you are ready. Some of you are tired of life on the mediocre. You're saying, I want to go whole for him. All for him. Entire for him. When they were full of the Spirit in that upper room, life started changing for all kinds of people. He doesn't just want to change your life, but your family's life. Not just your family's life, but all people everywhere that you impact and can impact for the glory of God. So I'm just wondering, can we have a little bit of an altar call right now? And anybody that'd like to come up here and just kneel down at the altar and say, God, I want it for me, but I want it for my family. And I want it for all who are far off, some that I don't even know about yet, that you're going to use me to reach them because of the power of that Spirit. We're going to focus on you, Jesus. And when we do, we can't wait to see what's going to happen.